This episode of Assembly Required is brought to you by Audible.com. If you're listening to a podcast as long as this one, you are clearly a fan of long-form audio content. Well, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, podcasts, news, business, and self-development. Has Moon Knight sparked your interest in Egyptian mythology? You might want to check out Egyptian Mythology, a guide to the gods, goddesses, and traditions of ancient Egypt by Oxford University Egyptologist Geraldine Pinch. You'll also find plenty of suggestions of similar topics, or you can browse any of the other thousands of titles available on Audible. There's something for every interest. You can listen while you commute, while you work, or while you're doing things around the home helping you enrich your life with stories without losing time out of your day. And right now, if you visit audibletrial.com assemblyrequired, you can start a free 30-day trial of Audible and start listening today. Signing up helps support the show, and you can cancel at any time. Once again, that's audibletrial.com assemblyrequired. Thanks, enjoy the show. There was an idea. Romamu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out. I for the faster baby. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and we are back. We said we might be back, and we here we are, might doing it. Somehow, Fine. Assembly Required returned. <laughs> Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Uh, we've got uh, two of the boys here. We've got Peaches. We've got Chris. Uh, moving forward, Robbie is going to try to his darndest to be on the show, but... Uh, uh, luckily for Robbie, he got a really nice promotion at work, and he's a little busier than he used to be. So we're gonna try to get him back in here as as often as we can. But um, you know, he's got he's got some stuff he he needs to he needs to do as you know a real working man. The guy has Going a job forward, or whatever. The surveillance stork will be filling in the role of Robbie. <laughs> what does the role of Robbie entail? Um. Well, making. I guess strange combative opinions known to the world and <laughs> then being weird about how weird they are. I don't know. Dude said that Captain Crunch was the worst cereal the other day. I need everybody on planet Earth to know that. If only <laughs> Tell if, your friends. If everyone on planet Earth only listens to one episode of Assembly Required and MCU retrospective, they need to listen to this one because he thinks that Captain Crunch is the worst cereal. Please write to us and tell us what the actual worst cereal is. Well, this is someone's first episode. They probably just turned it off in disgust. Oh shit! After hearing, such well, a, I'll, I'll tell you such guys. We um, Peaches came over at my house, and him, I, and Bailey, we had a worst cereal off, where we tried. We all we each picked a terrible cereal, and then we tried all three of them, and. Let me tell you, that was one of the worst experiences I've ever had because I didn't know how bad cereal could get. It wasn't bad. It was a fun time. It was it it was painful. Yeah, you, and uh, grape nuts are aquarium rocks that you put in milk. I do not know. I apologize to any listener that really enjoys grape nuts, raisin bran, or shredded mini wheats, but all three of those 
can live in a dumpster for all I care. Also, if you are a fan of grape nuts, I'd like you to write into the show too, please. <laughs> if you are a fan, a fan of grape nuts, I'm going to ask you politely yet firmly to leave. <laughs> you and the well done steak committee over here. Oh, I have. We're going to talk about well done steaks later. Oh <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Um, so I know we. We definitely have some episodes that we're going to get to. Don't worry. We will have an Eternals episode that comes out eventually. We will have a No Way Home episode. But today we're going to talk all about the newest Disney Plus show, Moon Knight. We're going to be discussing episode one of Moon Knight, The Goldfish Problems, directed by Mohamed Diab. I'm, I hope I'm saying that correctly. And written by Jeremy Slater. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Mohamed Diab is the sort of the show head of this and he is sort of in charge of the entire production. Well, I don't believe he directs every episode. He is in charge of the the overall narrative of the show. Yeah, I think I saw that he was the in the the final credits, I think it said he was the executive everything. Yeah, I think he's directing multiple episodes. I, I don't know if he's doing all of them, but he's directing a lot of them. Or at least some of them, I guess. You know, a lot of six isn't. I don't. I don't know. Oh, it's only six. I hadn't looked that up yet. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's six episodes. Good to know. It seems to be their their mo for sure. Unless you're Wandavision, then we get nine. Why yeah. don't we get more nines? Bless, bless Wandavision. I like that's sixes the, and nines. Sure, but then we'd have together. to have two twenty minute episodes. Mm. That's okay. Quantity, baby. Yeah. <laughs> that. That's how that works. Uh, it needs to finish in time for Obi-Wan Kenobi is why. Ah, that makes <laughs> sense. Uh, Peach, we're going to take a we're going to take a left turn here. You have actually been reading yourself some Moon Knight the past few months and you're actually our our boots on the ground expert when it comes to all things Moon Knight. So, give us a little bit of an introduction to the character maybe and uh, some of the characters that we're going to be seeing in the show. Can you believe that I know how to read? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I um around Christmas time I got a subscription to Marvel Unlimited. We talked about it on the Hawkeye some of the Hawkeye episodes because I was reading the Matt Fraction Hawkeye sort of after we had mostly finished it. And so this time around when I knew Moon Knight was coming out, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to try to get ahead of this. Like I want to read some Moon Knight in advance." So I picked and I might be doing this the wrong way. You can you can yell at me if you need to. I picked a couple of Moon Knight runs that were a little bit shorter as far as issues go so that I could get through them. I think maybe you have like uh, a pro and con with that. The pro is you get done quicker and you can move on to something else. The con is I am assuming a lot of the shorter runs of issues are short for a very specific reason. Um, Though the Hawkeye run was shorter and it was very good. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure there are exceptions. I think you're safe with Moon Knight since Moon Knight has such a wild and disparate history in the comics. Well, you say you say safe, but I'll tell you. So the two that I read, I finished one and I'm about halfway through the other. They were both just called Moon Knight. So one of them is from like 2014 and ended in 2015. They did one issue a month for 18 straight months. Um, the first set of those issues was by Warren Ellis, um, and the art was by Declan Shalvey. Um, and then, and I don't know if this is normal too, every six issues of that 18-issue run, the writer and artist changed. 
it was like six and six and six. And it was sort of like a different story and different art style every time. Is that normal? That's not uncommon. I wouldn't necessarily call it like the norm, but that is a thing that happens. Is that a writer will come in? uh, Moon Knight, three personalities, three writers, three illustrators. Well, four personalities. Four four personalities. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, this this first one that I'm describing, I I didn't love it. I'm not gonna lie. That's why I went on to a second one because I at first I was like, I will just pick one that I'm told is good, and hopefully it will teach me enough about what I need to know for the show. And overall, I thought the art was really well done in in this first run that I was describing, but the the story was just kind of all over the place. And now that I've realized that it's three separate blocks, I might have like more grace for it because maybe they just wanted to do what they wanted to do for six issues or so. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I'm reading now is from 2006, also just called Moon Knight. Uh, the writers, Charlie Hudson, Huston and um, David Finch did a lot of the penciling. They changed as well, like halfway through, but this one is a lot more brutal. It's like the art style is more like realistic and gory. And it's like, it's very hard to look at sometimes. Um, But the story is just a little bit more concise. What I have learned about Moon Knight between these two, plus the first episode of this show, is that he is just so all over the place. And we talked about this before we started recording, but Moon Knight is written almost completely differently so far with the show in all three of these stories that I have experienced. The things that he has sort of in common, if you want to know about Moon Knight's power set, is that he either has a disassociative personality disorder or schizophrenia or the Egyptian moon god that he communicates with uh, is messing with his brain, any combination of those things. But I know you said this once, Chris, and I might make you mad by agreeing with the opposite of your opinion. Okay. <laughs> um, but Moon Knight is kind of Batman in the sense that he is uh, a rich dude on the side. He uses lots of gadgets. He has lots of informants and like, mm. um, like he has a butler that helps him. He has a maid that helps him. He's got someone that pilots his moon, like his crescent ship. He flies through the air in a crescent shaped ship, like a, you know, like a <laughs> oh, like, half moon. Like the bat wing. Yeah. But it's the moon wing. Yeah. He has a person piloting that. He has a detective that he associates with regularly, uh-huh. just like Commissioner Gordon. The biggest difference, and, and he sometimes has powers and sometimes doesn't. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what makes him like Batman. The biggest difference is that. Um, the occasional powers, right? When Kanshu is helping Moon Knight, um, he has like increased durability, strength, speed. Like it's usually during the full moon. Weird, right? Um, but most of the time, Kanshu's not helping him. Um, so sometimes he is more like Batman. And the other biggest difference is that, and this is like a hard line because Batman is like vengeance, Batman's the knight, right? When Batman fights his enemies, he has some reservation about how much he's like beating them to a pulp and like what he's, he has like most of the time a no kill policy, right? Moon Knight does not care most of the Mm -hmm. time. Moon Knight thinks what he is doing is the right thing. Um, If he doesn't think it, Khonshu thinks it. So he convinces him it's the right thing. 
um, in the current run that I'm reading, he is going around and branding people's foreheads with the symbol of a moon every time he stops them from committing a crime. Like literally just scarring their forehead. Oh, like the Zack Snyder Batman. Yes. Um, in fact, Art the very first <laughs> Yeah. The very first thing that he does in this issue, in, in issue one, he um he fights one of the Moon Knight nemesis nemesi, um, and he cuts his entire face off. Uh so face. So Moon off. Knight Yeah. So Moon Knight doesn't really care. As as far as the person goes, the the actual man is Mark Spector. And depending on if you think it's a multiple personality thing or, or what they decide to describe it as in that particular comic or show, he has some other personalities. Uh, Stephen Grant is one of them. Stephen Grant is the British version, I guess, in the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't tell that by the comics, but he's the British version. He also has a personality he calls Jake Lockley who is like the taxi driver um, that Eduardo was describing pre-show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has another personality called Mr. Knight, where he dresses up. You've seen probably the the stills for the show where he's like dressed up in the white suit, the totally white suit with like just the mask around his face. He's like a bit more of a detective yeah, type. Yeah, that's when he goes into like detective mode. Another way that he's like Batman, He when he's helping he the police. Detective mode. Yeah. <laughs> When he's helping the police solve crimes, he's dressed up as Mr. Knight. He's questioning as Mr. Knight. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of consider Khonshu as part of one of his personalities because he is constantly having either real or fake conversations with this deity. It's actually really creepy. The guy that he ripped the face off of, his name is Raul Bushman. In this second run, every time he sees Khonshu, it is just a manifestation of the faceless faceless Raul Bushman. Oh my. And it's like his subconscious speaking to him, but it's Conchu through the image of a faceless man. Interesting. So it's a little creepy. So, so to put this in Dungeons and Dragons terms, Mm -hmm. Batman is, if you took the idea of the character, rich guy fights crime, does detective work is that's that he's a fighter. Moon Knight is if you took Batman and made him a paladin. Yeah, kind of, but he, yeah, but maybe with a little bit more on the chaotic. Yeah, maybe a more yeah, instead of a paladin, a warlock. You know, you. Oh got, yes, you yeah. That the the dark deity that you are, uh, kind of maybe spoken to. Yeah. I, okay. So that. So. Yeah, yeah. If he's, you don't know if he's a paladin or a warlock. Right. It depends on what you think <laughs> of Khonshu. Depends on the personality. He's yeah. multi-class. And there I, we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's I will multi-class, say, but the same patron for both. Yeah. My, yeah. my personal thoughts on Mark Spector, um, I'm actually really curious how the how Oscar Isaac plays this role in the show, because here's another thing that is similar from both comics. I hate Mark Spector. He's oh. an asshole. Okay. He like Eduardo, you you talk about all the time how you don't like Tony Stark because of how much of an asshole he is. And I think Mark Spector is an asshole. So I'm curious if you read any of these comics. Like he is constantly just talking about how what he does is better than everybody else. Uh, he's he's rude to every single person he associates with. He mm-hmm. is never kind to them whatsoever, including the love interest that he has. He's like full of himself all the time. And I just, I don't know why anybody wants to be his friend. It doesn't make any sense. He just like hurts everybody. Sometimes physically, most of the time verbally. 
I don't, I don't like him. So far, I like one of the personalities that Oscar Isaac is is portraying, even though his accent is god awful. <laughs> um, but I'm curious to see how that goes forward. Now, moving on from Moon Knight, uh, real actually, real yeah, quick, yeah, yeah. can I talk? Um, Not moving on, just kidding. Uh, Moon Knight, uh, just a little bit more background. He actually didn't debut in his own comic. He started out in, uh, he was a character in Werewolf by Night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, so his first, he appeared and fought Werewolf by Night, but then I think they did end up teaming up by the end. Nice. Uh, you know, so you have the moon connection there. The moon connection. And, uh, <laughs> and we will be getting Werewolf by Night, uh, or the rumor is uh, we're getting a Marvel and MCU Halloween special that's going to be Werewolf by Night. And uh, Michael Giacchino, the composer, is going to be directing it. Oh, that's cool. So, so that's really neat. Yeah, I, fr- I didn't write down any of the like. Okay, but stuff. like, what if it was a What's... Werewolf by Night musical? Well, I mean, <laughs> I will certainly night, hope it is. Marvel musical, bro. That'd be so cool. I'd watch Werewolf that. by Night, man. Werewolf by Night, tap dancer by day. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm curious. Um, triple threat. I'm curious what they do with the villains because the villain in this show is Arthur Harrow. Mm-hmm. Here's something that's interesting about Arthur Harrow. He has been in exactly one Moon Knight comic. He might have been in exactly one comic, period. I think that is the case. Yeah, he and... He's not a character with any real history. And this might hit home for one of us in particular. Arthur Harrow's background is that he is like a brilliant scientist, but half of his face is paralyzed. And uh, he is constantly trying to experiment on people to I fix his face. I can't believe I just got dannied. God damn it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say who. You said who. Chris, I don't think you were working with me at the time when that happened to me. Oh, right. So I, there I, was, I thought you were talking about Danny. No, no, no. he's talking about me. So there That's was a, right. That's there was right. a point a few years ago where I got a case of Bell's palsy and half of my face stopped working for a while. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, a few years ago at this point, we're talking maybe like yeah. five or six years ago. I, I, I remember. I don't think I don't think we were, were taking to get, working together at that point, but I do remember that. Yeah, yeah it was. So, <laughs> damn it. I wasn't going to call you out but you did it so <laughs> so the main takeaway though is that this guy showed up in one moon knight comic he you know was experimenting on people to try to fix his face moon knight tried to stop him and he like got away and then they they never reintroduced him but now ethan hawk is playing this man named arthur harrow and he's playing him as more of like a cult leader uh sort of like prophet situation and i think that's really interesting from the perspective of a marvel thing because they're just able to do whatever they want they're mm-hmm. basically just using his name and and that's it and the fact that he was one time for one issue a moon knight villain um so i think they they have the power to do whatever they want with that and that's really neat a lot of freedom there yeah so i um i'll speak on that a little bit so i've uh went and watched a bunch of oscar isaac and ethan hawk interviews and sort of interviews about the show and a very recurring theme was Oscar Isaac being asked, you know, if he read any comic books and if they're taking sort of any inspiration. And he said the same thing in basically every interview. And he's like, you know, I did a deep dive into Moon Knight and everything that I read was completely different from everything else. It uh, it seemed like the creators were given lots of leeway to kind of make their own stamp. Um, you know, the the 
the backstory of the character was changed in almost every issue. The power set was changed in almost every issue. What was important to the character, the you know, the doci- dissociative um, personality disorder was something that's added and taken away multiple times. And so he spoke about how that is how the show was presented to him. And so it seems like that is the direction they're going, that they, it's very malleable and they are not going to be doing sort of a one-to-one recreation of any specific run, but kind of taking these characters and making their own. He even spoke about Batman and how in a lot of cases he is a Batman. And he said, we are not doing that. Um, it's actually supposed to be Stephen Grant that is supposed to be the rich version of Moon Knight. Mm-hmm. He is the one that is, you know, is supposed to be the, the rich one that has all the money and everything. And they have sort of turned it on its head for this version. And so Stephen Grant is not that uh, in this version of Moon Knight. So it'll be really interesting to see how they have basically the name of the character and a lot of the the very basic blueprints, but then are able to take the character and kind of do whatever they want with him. Yeah, I, I was surprised they played him as like the, the idiot. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Grant is like the idiot. Because in the first run that I read, you know how in the end of this episode, um, as Stephen is like letting moon knight take over like he's letting mark take over and then he gets like wrapped in the cloth armor um in the first issues that i read every time he picked one of those personalities to change into he had a different costume i thought that was really cool you could tell which person he was based on the costume like the jake lockley version of moon knight had a much more like sleek kind of assassin looking costume Mm. um the mr knight costume excuse me obviously it was like the suit and tie um, his regular costume as Mark was completely different. It's kind of what you see at the end of this episode of the show. So that's really cool. Uh, I, I wonder if they'll do that here. I wonder if we'll even see all of the personalities. I'm sure we will because Mr. Knight has been in the pictures. So really, it's just Jake. Is Jake going to show up? Before I stop this character introduction to real quick, I'll just say two more important characters, Khonshu and Amit, both Egyptian deities. Chris will get more into this later. I don't know that much about Amit other than what I read on Wikipedia last night. Uh, Khonshu, again, another character. I'm curious how they're going to adapt to this show. Uh, He's like the deity of the moon. Um, He helps travelers make their way at night, um, that sort of thing. And he is also a full-blown asshole in the comics. He is very particular about who he gives his powers to um you know he chooses an avatar and helps them when he wants to but he is very picky and he can change sides very easily um in the first run that i read mark was not doing what he want what Kanshu wanted him to do and took away all of the powers and gave them to the nemesis of that issue uh he just decided eh you're not you're not doing you're not doing enough vengeance, so this person will do the vengeance for me. And that's kind of happening sometimes in this run, this second run that I'm reading too, is you know, Mark a lot of the times is like, I don't need you, I'll do this on my own. And Conchu's sort of a dick about it. So I'm curious because the the guy that is voicing him does not seem like a douche. <laughs> the voice doesn't seem like a douchey voice. You know what I mean? Like when he was speaking, when he had that like that narrative in his head, I was like, he doesn't sound mean enough. <laughs> I mean, he was definitely mean. He wasn't. Yeah. 
but not mean enough. <laughs> it's a, a different kind of mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that like in the Marvel comics for a long time, they were trying to make it ambiguous as to whether or not Khonshu actually existed. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how much of that they will bring into this, because I do think that recently the comics actually made it explicit that yes, Khonshu is real. That is true. There was like a big Avengers crossover event where Moon Knight was actually kind of the nemesis because I think Khonshu, I don't know if he was trying to pick a new avatar or something, but Moon Knight ends up fighting a bunch of the Avengers and it ended up confirming that Khonshu is real. And I think it ended with Moon Knight maybe even rejecting Khonshu. That's yeah, that sounds right. I will say I I have this. I don't know if you can see it because it's all blurry, um, but I'm reading Moon Knight uh, Legacy, Crazy Runs in the Family, and in this one, the nemesis is somebody who is, um, whose being is, uh, has the avatar of Ra, so okay. it looks like that they, something like this leans a little bit more heavily into the mythology aspect, so it looks like there are definitely more runs that have, and this is a, a much later, this is 2016, so this is much after, but uh, farther yeah. after. I the think they are going to run with that in the show. I mean, he literally fought a demon dog. Yeah, I, I in think the last scene. I think that they are heavily leaning into the mythology with this one, mm-hmm. which I think is cool. I yeah, think, that's uh, different. Yeah, and like the tattoo is moving on on Arthur's arm. You know, like mm-hmm. I think they're embracing the weirdness that Moon Knight has because we've talked about this a lot. He has like that panel with Dracula where he's like, "Where's my money?" Yeah, which that's not the real dialogue. <laughs> I know, I know, but. But he interacts with a lot of supernatural. Yes, is is my point. Is he interacts with supernatural foes a lot? So I think if they weren't going to embrace that, it might be weird because even one of his arch nemesi, which I think we're going to get in the show, I think he is listed on IMDb as a character, um, is Midnight Man, and Midnight Man is like mostly robot at this point. He like. It's kind of like Elden Ring, actually. He harvests people's body parts and replaces them with his own. Oh. He looks like a human, but he just, like, he's had his body parts replaced a lot, uh, and a lot of it is robotic, too. Hmm. And he um, he's just really strong, and I don't know, I think mostly Midnight Man is kind of similar to Moon Knight as far as names go, and that's probably why yeah. <laughs> he's an arch nemesis, but Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. Um, I don't know who Layla is, the one on the phone. She's credited, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know who she is. We will be seeing more of her later. Yeah. I've seen the actress talk about it. Um, also, uh, one uh, friend of the show, Arnaldo, caught this because he's also been reading a lot of Moon Knight. Uh, the one name in the phone that's not Layla is Duchamp, mm-hmm. and that is Frenchie, who I believe is his helicopter pilot. Sometimes, sometimes, yes. depending yeah. on which run you're reading. Yeah, there's uh, Jean-Paul Duchamp yeah, uh, so. is a, a pal of his and sometimes not a pal. They get in fights a yeah. lot. So we'll see. We'll see if he ever shows up. I, I honestly do not know if he is part of this cast or not. Yeah. Set to Every Grain of Sand by Bob Dylan. Our episode opens with a mysterious scale tattooed man performing what looks like a ritual involving glass harping, shattering glass said gla- shattering said glass with a cane, and using the shattered glass as insoles before walking around in his new spiked sandals. I love this because it is never talked about again. I, I'm assuming maybe we'll get like a little bit of like why he does this maybe later, but I love that we open the episode of this man doing this really 
like cringy thing and then we just don't talk about it ever again uh actually i i read um uh, ethan hawk uh right as the actor yes yeah 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 ethan hawk they talked about they actually filmed that that was supposed to be the opening of the second episode but the director was like no this is too good we're putting it in the number one and that's how they wanted to show you that yes he comes off as this benevolent uh leader i think the word ethan hawk used was he wanted to show that there was something subterranean to him interesting hmm. Uh, so that there's something sinister like under the surface there. A little unhinged, maybe. Yeah. I just know that we are 10 seconds into the episode and Angela is cringing on the couch. Once he starts pouring the glasses, she's like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. I like that approach to just straight up say who the villain is. Yeah. Well, yeah. that has been maybe a recurring trope in some of these Marvel shows that the the villain, the, the identity of the villain is a huge mystery. And mm-hmm. so it is maybe, it is a little refreshing that we're like, here's the villain, here's your and uh, protagonist. The mystery is not about who this person is, but it about their interactions and, you know, the, the protagonist. And, you know, it's definitely stupid. a protagonist-centered show. Stupid power broker, stupid yeah. Judy. I mean, Stupid we're King talking Pin. power broker. We're talking kingpin. <laughs> we're talking who the uh, the man. What is it? The man at the end of the universe. What is its name? Oh, uh, okay. oh, yeah. Well, the uh, he who remains. He who yeah. remains. There we go. Ralph Boner. Yeah. Ralph Boner. <laughs> Mephisto. It was <laughs> Agatha all along. Still waiting for Mephisto. Honestly, which <laughs> Agatha worked? Which MCU show did not have a mystery villain? Moon Knight. Probably. <laughs> it is literally just Moon Knight, isn't it? What if? We will see. Uh, what if? What do you mean? Uh, what if had... Uh, uh, who was the villain when the 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 crossover where they all came together? Yeah, oh, but it wasn't a mystery because each episode until then, we didn't know for sure it was leading up to a, a big crossover. Fair. I mean, we did, but we didn't. You know, Each episode had its own villain. Marvel title card and cut to Oscar Isaac as Stephen Grant waking up and looking confused in his flat before removing an ankle restraint, which was keeping him tied to a support beam. It's funny. I said this as Peaches and I were watching the show, but he says some line later about how like women aren't going to want to date me if I have ankle restraints on my bed. Uh, that's like a big red flag. And I looked at Peaches and I was like, no, it's not. And es- I'm looking- <laughs> especially if it's Oscar Isaac. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm looking forward to you reading uh, point G-1. <laughs> oh, <later>. sweet. <laughs> Other strange things around the apartment include a circle of sand around his bed and painter's tape being removed from the crack in his front door. He feeds Gus his single finned fish and sleepily makes his commute to work as a gift shop employee at a museum. After absolutely getting wrecked by the harsh words of a tiny child, Steven's boss adds a cherry on top by belittling and reminding (laughs) him that he is not a tour guide. Uh, I want to say something about, Oh wait, you got something on that? Well, I'm almost convinced that the kid is someone, not someone, but the kid, but like, why would the kid say that? Why would yeah. the kid be like, why didn't you make it past the app? Like, how would the kid, like, where, like, the kid is a lot more interesting than I think we're giving it credit to. Or yeah. it means literally nothing and the kid was just shitting no. on Is this our two? first story? <laughs> I, no, no, no. I believe that. You beat me to the punch. So one thing I didn't say about Moon Knight is his origin. So I'll say it now. The way that Mark Spector becomes uh, Moon Knight and kind of, like, ties in with how he relates to Khonshu 
is that he was on a mission with this nemesis I, I uh, mentioned earlier, Raul Bushman. And Bushman killed him. They were in Egypt, and and Bushman killed Mark Spector. Right in front of the statue of Khonshu. Khonshu resurrected Mark, brought him back to life. It's unclear how many times he's done that, because one of, one of Moon Knight's, I'm doing air quotes, powers, is that he just can take a beating. He is like... He that's he'll just push through the pain, you know. No matter how much he's beaten, he'll just keep going. Um, but Kanchu resurrects him, and it's unclear how often he's done it. So this kid saying, you know, it sounds like she's just like laying a verbal smackdown on him. But really, if he's already Moon Knight, that means he might have already died to get Kanchu on his side, you know. And if he already died, it's very possible that that kid is maybe just like a, a vision of Khonshu or something. Because you're right, what she says is very strange for a child to be like, well, why didn't you make it past the field of reeds? Why would a kid ask that? Obviously, I'm not dead. I'm right in front of you. Right. It's a very weird thing for a kid to ask. Approached by a, approached by a foxy co-worker... <laughs> We learn that Steven is also perhaps a charming ladies' man when he confirms a steak dinner date for the next night, though he has no recollection of ever asking her out. And also that he's apparently a vegan, but still going to big steakhouses. <laughs> uh, Peaches, do you want to read F? Oh, yeah. I wrote this because... <laughs> and in the next scene, when they're like in the back room, uh, I just genuinely feel bad for Steven Grant because his boss is a dick. Like, I, I didn't know how to write it, but he's in there like, you know, I'm not trying to be a tour guide. I'm just saying that, like, I know some stuff about Egyptian mythology and this poster is not entirely accurate and blah, blah, blah. And she is such a Karen to him. It's like unbelievable how mean. OK, it's not unbelievable how mean a boss can be, but <laughs> it's just so there's no reason for her to go to like a 13 out of 10 when he's like, hey, we're a museum. Maybe we should have the the correct poster. Uh, you know, we're trying to teach people things. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't know what to write there, but it felt important that she's such a dick. This guy's pushed around a lot. He is. Mm -hmm. On his way home, Steven explains to a golden statue performer that he struggles with sleepwalking and is trying to keep himself awake at night to prevent it. He also makes a comment that having a girlfriend and having ankle restraints on his bed are mutually exclusive things. Yeah, right, my guy. It's 2022. Those aren't red. There aren't any red flags with that, especially if you're Oscar Isaac. Steven attempts to stay awake that night, but seemingly fails. Cue a quick cut to him waking up slightly bruised in a field as a mysterious voice uh, attempts to command him back to sleep and to, quote, surrender the body to Mark. Uh, he also has this really cringy, not cringy, but like it like made my skin crawl thing with his jaw where it's like dislocated and he like, he it, it's like gravel as he puts it back into place. And, Probably important. Steven also finds a surprise golden scarab in his pocket. Avoiding gunfire from some nice looking locals, Steven runs into town and hides in a crowd gathering around the, the mystery man from the episode's opening shots. The man, named Arthur, acts as a prophet, asking members of the crowd to step up and be judged. 
The scale tattoo on Arthur's arm tips back and forth as the first member of the crowd is judged to be a good man. The second participant, however, is not so lucky. The arm scales deem her unworthy and she collapses lifeless to the ground. Um, I think of note in this scene is that what he says to her, she goes, I've been good. I've been good all my life. And he says, I'm sorry, I believe you. Perhaps it's something that lies ahead. So people are being judged for things they haven't even done yet. Right. And so he, I think that he brings that up later right. as well. Right. Arthur notices Stephen in the crowd and encourages him to return the stolen scarab. Stephen attempts to comply, but his body fights him as he tries to hand it over. Now angered, the crowd subdues Stephen. They attempt to take the scarab, but suddenly a quick cut time jump. What the hell just happened? No longer being restrained by the crowd, Stephen holds the scarab in a bloody hand, bodies of the crowd members strewn across the street. This show, I, we've only had one episode. So, you know, take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. This show has already felt a little refreshing. I think we on the show have said many times that we don't necessarily believe in what is the Marvel formula because a lot of the Marvel properties tend to be very different and they tend to, you know, you have like teen comedies and you have, you know, all kinds of different types of what a Marvel movie could be. But at the end of the day, there's still a Marvel movie. I don't believe that this is going to break from that. Uh, but it seems to be distancing itself from other Marvel properties in a lot of different ways. And I think it's a really, really interesting show that plays its cards close to its vest, but in a different way than we have seen. I think we have already seen, as we discovered with the mystery villain thing that has been a, a trope throughout Disney Plus shows, sort of a, a common thread throughout all of them. Whereas it feels like because this one, and they were told from the beginning that this isn't going to be like a closely tied in MCU thing. It will be its own standalone property that is still within the MCU universe, but it's going to be its own thing that, you know, you're not going to see like crossovers and you're not going to wait for, you know, Nick Fury to show up to be like, Moon Knight, I want you in the Avengers. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but you know what I mean. Um, they were definitely, it's definitely being marketed as this is its own thing. And I think that gives the show a little bit more strength and a little bit more leeway to do things in a different way. We had, over this past week, a few scenes from Falcon and the Winter Soldier that were already altered because they were a little too violent. Um, they have since yes so there were two scenes yeah, in weird. falcon and the winter soldier that were altered because they were too violent it was when someone gets a like a beam that goes through their like shoulder or something and then it was also when um it was when zemo kills the guy right when zemo kills the guy yeah. and um he's like all bloodied and beaten up and they changed it to him just sort of falling on the ground but without any of the blood and being beaten up why they just added the netflix shows they they have since reverted the two shows and taken out the censorship not the two, okay, two scenes yeah. and taken out the censorship but it just sort of shows the different type of show they're going for with falcon and the winter soldier and this show where he has a bloody scarab in his hand and there are blood-soaked people on the ground and later on we're going to see a man that has a bullet in his head you know, it's 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 a yeah. significantly different approach. And I'm not just talking about blood and gore, but it seems tonally they're going for something different. 
Um, and I think it's really cool. And I'm actually, uh, you know, it's a sort of a spoiler as to how I feel about it. And we're going to talk about it at the end. I'm all in on this show. This show has had a really interesting uh, jump off point. I will also say, and Chris, maybe you can talk about this a little bit. I didn't watch almost mm-hmm. any of the promotional material. I watched one trailer, the first Moon Knight trailer that ever came out where they were like, this is Moon Knight. And I was like, I'm sold. I don't need to see anything else. I'm going to watch this. And I didn't watch uh, anything else. The Peaches approach. And yeah. so uh, from what I understand, Chris, it sounds like a lot of what was in the promotional material was in this first episode. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will say I did rewatch this morning. Uh, I, I, Spoilers for how I felt about it. I liked the episode when I first watched it, but the problem was I felt like it was setting up stuff that I was already set up for having a bit of a background on the character and having seen the trailers and stuff. So I didn't really feel like I got anything new. It just felt like it was getting stuff ready. So it really just kind of made me impatient for episode two. Um, Like I didn't think this was a bad episode. I was like, oh, but I want to see more now. Uh, Rewatching it again this morning, with my expectations, knowing exactly where it ends and everything is like, all right, no, this is, you know, I, I enjoyed the episode even more this time. Uh, but yeah, I, this would have been a very good one for me to have gone in blind on. So I, I feel like I missed out a little bit <laughs> real quick. I actually want to circle back to that Falcon Lunar soldier thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the theory on that is they, they claim that they accidentally uploaded those edits uh, which was like, how do you accidentally edit it? But what I think, <laughs> what I think was happening is that, you know, somewhere, backstage as they were you know planning on rolling out because when they added the netflix shows to disney plus they also added parental controls uh for our international listeners if any of you are out there uh here in the united states uh we have not had any adult content on disney plus yet i know that in other regions they have because they have uh what is it sky tv i think is uh part of the package so they've had r-rated movies and things like that we haven't had anything beyond TV 14 slash PG 13. When they brought on the Netflix stuff, this is the first time they've added TV MA, which is mature audiences. And they added parental controls for that. And the theory is that they were debating whether they wanted to either move Falcon and the Winter Soldier back behind the TV MA parental controls, even though it was rated TV 14 when it first came out, or if they wanted to or if they decided you know this is what we would consider ma so let's edit it down to tvpg or tv14 uh and therefore keep it on this side of the parental controls and then that maybe they decided not to do it but got uploaded anyway who knows but i don't know what it even matters because u.s agent cut that guy's head off with captain america's shield and that was more brutal than anything that happened in any of the censored scenes yeah um Really, it just kind of gets into the hypocrisy of, of how how we treat violence and everything, and that's a whole other discussion to be having. Uh, but I just thought it was very interesting. Disney doesn't really know what they, how they want to handle mature stuff on Disney Plus yet, when they should just make parental controls instead of editing the F word out of Adventures in Babysitting, which is the soapbox <laughs> I will get on all day, every day. <laughs> remember remember when they decided that the Lizzie McGuire reboot was too spicy yep. for Disney Plus? Yep. Uh, anyway, I, I keep thinking that that's a joke, and no. then I remember it's not a joke. Right? <laughs> remember when they added a word into Star Wars that hadn't been there before? That uh, has nothing to do with parental controls, but it's just wild that they're like, we're going to put this on Disney+. Plus. Also, we're going to add a word into this, this movie. McClunky! <laughs> 
To be fair, that was George Lucas. I don't know why, but it was. <laughs> again, the the music is called Jizz. I I rest my case. <laughs> The remaining crowd members attempt to catch him, but we need some sweet car chase action. So Steven steals a cupcake truck and speeds out of town to the tune of Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. During the chase, I agree. During the chase, we witness two more occurrences of quick cut time jumps, both resulting in a previously endangered Steven miraculously surviving each situation. When the car chase comes to a stop, Steven's remaining assailants are flattened by falling logs, and Final Destination PTSD activates. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Screaming, he jolts out of bed, checking that his ankle restraint is firmly attached. Was the whole thing just a dream? Now, Peach, the, we see this type of cut used several times throughout this episode. You wanted to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I think this is a really clever way to show the personality switching over. Um, and it kind of makes the episode more interesting. Well, it, not even kind of, it makes the episode more interesting because at any moment he can just fall asleep and wake up and the problem is solved. And I think that's really cool for episode one. What I'll say is I hope they don't continue to always do this because I think it would be really cool to, and maybe we'll get this in episode two. I don't know. I think it'd be really cool to see the, other when the other personality takes over i want to see what happened like the first time that that cut happens and all the people are on the ground and he's holding the bloody scarab i want to see that fight uh when he you know the guy you were talking about earlier that has a bullet in his head and falls out of the back of the cupcake truck i want to see how that went down and the one after too i want to see what mark did when he took over the consciousness Um, And I'm sure that we will have that going forward. It would be really weird if we didn't, especially because the last scene of this episode is Moon Knight doing a little bit of fighting. Um, But overall, I think it was a really clever way to show personality switches while making the episode still sort of mysterious. If you don't know that much about Moon Knight, you're like, what's going on here? To kind of give it like a a horror show vibe, right? Like it gets a little scarier later with the, the apartment and the lights flickering and seeing Khonshu. Um, but I, I just overall, I like these camera cuts. I think it was a cool decision. Please don't always do it. I hope they don't always do it, but it works right now, I think. Did you guys like them? Yeah, I thought it was super cool. I thought yeah. it worked really well to kind of talk about what they were doing. I also think that they're taking a lot of really interesting choices as far as cinematography is concerned. I think a lot of the the sort of blocking that they're doing in their sets is really interesting. I think the the cuts is another part. They're trying to they're trying to put you in the shoes of the main character and sort of experience what he's experiencing. I think there are several scenes where they use reflections really interestingly. They use a reflection and then instead of there being just one, there are three of him. Uh, you know, I find a lot of those things really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious to see how they go forward. I think you're correct. I think this, the last scene in the show is what you're asking for. It is us seeing Mark take over, and so I think we will see it moving forward. I think we'll get a lot more. In my opinion, what I think is going to happen is I think is in episode two we're going to get a lot more of Mark and um, God, I forget his name, Stephen interacting and having a little bit more right. of a dialogue. Whereas this episode, he was sort of discovering that he was even there. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I hadn't really 
thought of it, but I mean, there are a lot of reflections in this, you know, him looking in the mirror, even, they even do that classic Marvel shot where everything's upside down and it's like, oh, you're actually looking at the puddle. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't think about how almost every time you see reflections, that it's always like mirrors reflecting mirrors or, or two reflections in the glass. Mm-hmm. It's a, like the classic Citizen Kane shot of like the infinite reflections, but you're right, they do limit it almost to to three like you know where he walks away and the reflection stays and watches yep. you know some really interesting visual storytelling there absolutely is to you know hammer home the you know the the different personalities that that exist within this man i think this will be a series and i'm making a really early judgment just off of one episode but i think this is be a series where you'll watch it multiple times and notice new things every time you watch it because they're taking a lot yeah. of really small choices and trying to make sure that they have like lots of little kind of um little homages and little little things there to kind of to kind of keep your attention and i think we'll we'll end up coming back and watching the, the all the the episodes again and notice little tiny little new things like that it feels very meticulously constructed yeah absolutely right now which is really cool. Yeah, like the other stuff too. I I want to know what's going on with the goldfish. Uh, uh-huh. Like those tiny little details. Why I put them in the notes are the reason I did it is because it's weird, and I'm sure one day we'll find out why it's weird. Um, but yeah, come back later and oh, this is why the goldfish I, only had one fin. You know what I think would almost... be really cool is the same. We do a second episode that is that those few days from Mark's perspective and exactly we do the same say. time cuts, the same jumps, but we just cut out everything that happens with Steven. Yep. I think that is what'll happen. We'll see him being suave with the, yeah. the tour guide. Yeah. And, so you want to get some steak? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, the fight scenes and you know, maybe what happened with the goldfish all along, yeah. who knows? I think that will be a cool, a cool like yin to yang. Yeah. Cause because the implication is, I think, that Mark sometimes has to live as Steven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting that he's, like, going for dates and stuff. <laughs> that, but then also, like, trying to keep up the appearances of, oh, I gotta get him a goldfish. What do you mean you don't have one with only one fin? <laughs> the following morning, Steven is shocked to notice that Gus the goldfish suddenly has a second fin. He brings Gus to a pet shop to complain but the employee claims that yesterday he visited and bought the two-finned friend. Then noticing a clock in the pet shop, he realizes he's late for his steak date. Oh. At the restaurant, Stephen waits alone at his table, restless. He calls his date, who claims to have been stood up by him two days prior, as if being heartbroken wasn't enough. Dune then orders a well-done steak, masochist. To be fair, he doesn't order the well-done steak. He has suggested the well-done steak. He orders a very good steak. Well, I, yeah. I don't think he... Does even... the waiter think that the man thinks that he got very good and well done confused? <laughs> I... What do you want? The best bit of the steak. That's what I want. <laughs> Fulfill it then. I mean, he is heartbroken to be stood up. I, I get that. Well, I think he's not he's even paying now. attention to what the waiter is saying. He's more just yeah. like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. And again, this... You know, Stephen is apparently a vegan, so he... Well, he's never thought about how he would order a steak because he wouldn't order a steak. He's a vegan? Before. Yeah, they said earlier because when Donna hears, oh, you're going on a date, what, what's a vegan going to eat at a steak? As he goes, I don't know, salad, bread? Oh. She deserved that, though. She is so mean. Yeah. Very mean. You, could, you could take someone out to a restaurant where, you you know, there are probably, you know, plant-based options. Right. Most restaurants, you know, will cater to 
to, to many tasty Robbie, diets. Robbie, weigh in. What does your wife get when you go to a steak restaurant? <laughs> Probably bread and salad. Salad, yeah. That's what I would assume. The following morning, Stephen is shocked to notice that Gus the Goldfish, that's already what I've read, at the restaurant, already read that too. Back at his apartment, Stephen notices scratch marks on the floor, causing him to investigate. He finds a loose panel on the floor revealing a key and flip phone. It is not any flip phone. It is a silver Motorola Razor, and I know that because I had that phone when I was like 15. I didn't. Awesome. We're not sponsored by Motorola. They don't get to just have free advertising. You're right. It is a mystery phone that no one Who knows? Knows, knows what the phone was. What You be the judge. I had that same phone, too. I got in trouble for texting all the time. Yeah. You used to get, um, I, don't, I don't know if you did this, but you used to get really good at texting on those phones T9? because of T9. Yep. So you would just text under your desk without looking at your phone. Because, 100%. Because you just knew where the it was much easier to text you could just without looking you would just yeah and you can't do that anymore no. yeah i was real good at it back <laughs> in the day i mean i'm sure you could do it but i don't have the skill set to do it on a touch screen and not butcher everything think of that episode of parks and rec where uh, they're at the halloween party and chris is texting while maintaining eye contact and having a conversation with someone and he's like I believe it is rude to break eye contact with someone. (laughs) That text was to you. (laughs) He scrolls through the phone's missed calls, and we see at least 60 missed calls from someone named Layla, and one from a Duchamp, maybe important, probably an Easter egg. We talked about that a little bit already. Uh, Layla calls him as he snoops. Does he? Does she? I thought he calls her. No, he's about to call her, and then the call comes from her. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he is like he's got his finger over the button and he's about to press it and then the call comes through and he answers it. Got it. She expresses she's happy Stephen is alive and that she's been calling him for months. She questions his accent and accuses him of being named Mark. Is now the time to talk about his accent? We can talk about his accent now. Yes. I feel like we got to talk about his accent. Isn't it? Isn't, Isn't it, it the right time? Uh yeah. <laughs> so this accent is an intentionally bad London accent. I think we we've, we've uh, settled on uh, and I say London accent but apparently uh, you know people who, who know the, the estuary accent is what it's called in, in London is that it sounds like he's really just kind of cribbing bits of all you know all different regions of England yeah. and what it sounds like is an American like I compared it to it's like if you go to an improv show and somebody has to play an English character and they just pull out all the English stereotypes uh, <laughs> to the one I wrote down in my notes was when he leaves his apartment at the beginning, bumps into the guy selling brooms and goes, still selling the old brushes and brooms, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the old, uh, everything's the old in it. You know? How many people in England say, later gators? <laughs> later gators. <laughs> and, and, and the reason I knew, I said this before we started recording, you know that this was an intentional choice on Oscar Isaac's part. Uh, because, um, later gators, uh, because they, Marvel released a video of Oscar Isaac watching the trailer and reacting to it. And he started making fun of the accent when it came out in the voiceover. He started going, I don't know the difference. <laughs> so you know that it like, it was absolutely an intentional choice on his part, uh, which I think is smart because I think Mark is American. And I think that Mark is, 
I don't want to say the true personality, but probably the original personality. Uh, so this construct of, of Stephen Grant is English, but he's not English, so you know he just does his best. Now hearing voices around the apartment, Stephen sneaks to his bathroom and throws open his shower curtain, revealing a mirror, though his reflection doesn't seem to be fully uh, mirroring him. Appreciate the uh written in there for me. Chris, um, we're going to talk a little bit about a disassociative identity disorder because it is, a, I think, a very prevalent uh, theme. I don't want to call it a theme. It's not a theme, but it is something that is used and is talked about a lot. I mean, I think uh, I watched an interview with Oscar Isaac, and he says a lot. One of the main themes of the show, one of the main um, sort of things is about dealing with mental illness. And uh, I think that's where the disassociative identity disorder sort of comes in. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see how they handle it going forward. I don't know if you'll noticed that at the end of the credits, they actually have a credit saying for inf- information on uh, on mental illness, uh, go to nami.org, uh, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, so I actually pulled up that website and the American Psychiatric Association's website because dissociative identity disorder is an actual uh, mental illness, mental disorder. I don't know. I'm trying very carefully. I, I don't know the exact terminology, but I guess I guess a mental disorder would be the disorders in the name of it. So that's probably accurate uh, way to call it. And this actually is what was formerly known as multiple personality disorder. Uh, that is a name that is no longer used. And it's something that people, I think, often get confused with schizophrenia, which is a different thing. Schizophrenia does not actually manifest as multiple personalities from uh, what I can tell in my little research but yes dissociative identity disorder is one of three types of dissociative disorders according to the american psychiatric association the other two being dissociative amnesia and depersonalization slash derealization disorder thanks bo burnham derealization googling derealization not liking what you find oh (laughs) hating what you find sorry so uh, dissociative identity disorder, uh, the uh, criteria for diagnosis include the existence of two or more distinct identities or personality states. Uh, the distinct identities are accompanied by changes in behavior, memory, and thinking. The signs and symptoms may be observed by others or reported by the individual. Uh, ongoing gaps in memory about everyday events, personal information, and or past traumatic events and the symptoms cause significant distress or problems in social, occupational, or other areas of functioning. So that's all actually stuff we've seen in this episode. Uh, you know, the gaps of the memory, uh, two distinct identities so far. And, and what it's usually associated with is, over, I'm quoting here, overwhelming experiences, traumatic events, and or abuse that occurred in childhood. And the disturbance must not be a normal part of a broadly accepted cultural or religious practice as well. So I guess there are, you know, some cultures where... You know, someone might have a different, you know, manifest a different personality for, you know, cultural reasons. In many cultures around the world, experiences of being possessed are a normal part of spiritual practice. These are not considered dissociative disorders. It says that the uh, personality and the the attitude and personal preferences of a person might suddenly shift and then shift back. It happens involuntarily and, and and it's an unwanted shift. Uh, You may feel like you've suddenly become an observer of your own speech and actions. Your bodies might feel different. uh, And you feel as if you have within you two or more entities, each with its own way of thinking and remembering uh, about yourself and your life. Um, 
but it is important to remember that they may feel different, but they are manifestations of a single whole person. And there are lots of different uh, names to describe these alternate states, including alternate personalities, alters, states of consciousness, and identities. And it is something that can be treated uh, as well with uh, psychotherapy. Uh, therapy can help you gain control over the dissociation. Lots of different kinds of therapy have, have been used, uh, but there is no medication uh, that is used for it. So what's interesting is that they have decided to go with an actual mental illness, like an actual mental illness that exists and make that part of this character. And it's going to be very interesting, I think, to see like how sensitively they handle it. Because they go, if you go back to the comics, uh, you know, what's interesting is that uh, the original idea of, of Moon Knight was that these multiple personalities that he displayed were false identities it wasn't a mental thing it was just like i'm going to live as be jake loxley now or, or like i'm going to be mark specter now and they were like his uh like pseudonyms like he created these backstories and identities uh but he created them all for the purpose of his crime fighting and then later on they decided oh no let's make that part of you know a manifestation of mental illness uh which is a risky proposition because you want, you know, when this is an actual mental illness that people, you know, people experience, you want to do it as, you know, sensitively. And, and I think comics in particular have a history of not necessarily being the most progressive when it comes to portraying mental illness. And it's something you see the grappling with a lot. And, you know, especially, you know, bringing it back to Batman when all the super criminals end up locked up in Arkham Asylum because, oh, you know, Two-Face has a split personality or Joker's insane or, or whatever, you know, the, the Riddler's obsessive compulsive, you know, they, they diagnose all these characters and they're usually villains. And, you know, that, that can potentially increase the stigma around these mental illnesses. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to be looking at, you know, as the show goes on, how they handle it and, you know, how people in this community, uh, you know, people who actually experience you know these illnesses and and the professionals that work with them i i'm curious to see how they you know how it's received because it's a it's a tough needle to thread to make that part of your character and not make it you know just sort of a plot hook and to deal with it in a realistic fashion and not just use it because oh wouldn't this be cool so you know, it's just, uh, you know, something I, I figured we should talk about this in the first episode here. Uh, and, you know, something to keep an eye on going forward. You know, it, it sounds like, you know, if they put that credit at the end, I'm wondering if maybe they worked with the National Alliance on Mental Illness and other professionals, you know, to make sure that they're portraying it in, in a way that, that won't be directly or indirectly, accidentally or otherwise harmful. But yeah, I, I just think that's an interesting aspect that they decided to keep and really embrace uh you know because it's something they really could have just decided you know let's just not touch that because that's that's too much but they decided to you know confront it head on and and really fold it into the character i think it, it really works to the strength of the show i think the show sort of like what i talked about earlier is tackling something a little different from that we, that we normally see in the mcu and i think it, it, it it's to the show's strength like i think 
Uh, I have a lot of faith in this sort of production team. I have a lot of faith in Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke in their performances. I have a lot of faith in 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 what they're trying to do with this character. There are going to be some things, and maybe I should talk about this now that I that I don't like, but I want to I want to wait until we're done talking about this specific topic because I think it deserves um, its own section. And I think we like I think that they are doing an incredible job so far, and I have the utmost confidence that they're going to be doing it in a respectful manner moving forward. Yeah. I think Oscar Isaac is a very thoughtful performer. So I'm sure that he approached this, you know, with the, the gravity that it deserves, you know, this topic. Absolutely. You know, I think it's still, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it going forward with, with Moon Knight and these different manifestations of the hero. And, And I think that can lead to, you know, some fun superhero stuff, but I am optimistic that they're going to, do it also in a way that can be respectful. Horror movie vibes are in full swing as the lights in the apartment complex begin to flicker. Steven attempts to flee the building by running to the elevator. The elevator doors open to the fifth floor, AKA the one he started on, and he hallucinates the image of a tall mummified figure with a large cane and the skull of a falcon. We get this whole scene of him, you know, being terrified, and then he's like sitting in the corner, and then the big falcon figure walks in, and it's actually just an old lady, and you know, Oscar Isaac has to play this off. Can we just talk about how great Oscar Isaac is in this? He is fantastic, and I think, I think it's so incredible how he is able to play these multiple characters uh, in the same in the same show and is able to sort of act some of those nuances that we've already talked about, like the accent that is intentionally bad from this person who has only known the tropes of being an actor. Cause I'm sure he has been asked to do a British accent before, and I'm sure it was a conscious effort to make this British accent not as good as one that he could probably do. And to sort of use some of those things. He is just, I don't think that this episode had like the tightest narrative or plot that I've ever watched in my whole life. I don't think it was, you know, but I think his performance has so much gravity and is so interesting that I was captivated from beginning to end. And I think he is a big part in that because he's just doing such a great job. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's always been a great actor i i remember actually the first thing i ever saw him in was star wars uh and i remember leaving the theater and one of my takeaways was wow from the first scene i thought poe was just the best you know he he is a very gifted performer and you know he is one of those actors who can steal a scene but not even by trying he's just one of those uh, actors like, um, oh gosh, who have we talked about? Andrew Garfield is another one who, you know, comes on screen and you want to look at them. And, and I think he, he's, I'm excited to see what he brings to, uh, both this show and, and then just the MCU in general, because I know we've, after this, I, I guarantee we'll be getting a Moon Knight will return because apparently he's one of Feige's favorite characters. Oh, interesting. Someone that he's always wanted to bring in. And so he feels very strongly about using Moon Knight. So I, I guarantee we'll be seeing it. I mean, now we know we're getting Blade and all these other characters and Werewolf by Night. It only makes sense that we're going to start exploring the supernatural side of the MCU now. We've 
done the science stuff. We've done some of the uh, cosmic. cosmic stuff yeah. and some of the mythical stuff with Thor. And, and you know, the rumors are we're going to start seeing a few more pantheons. And now we're definitely at least getting Egypt. So it's, you know, plenty of space to use Moon Knight in interesting ways in the future. When he interacts with almost everybody, like he interacts with a lot of the supernatural stuff, like you're saying, he also interacts with a lot of the street level heroes, yes, like Spider-Man yeah. and Daredevil. And, you know, they're obviously here. But in the in the uh, second run that I, I mentioned, I'm halfway through right now. It was in 2006 that it was written. So he is dealing with the um, Superhero Registration Act or whatever the actual yeah, title yeah. is. So he's interacting with Tony Stark and Captain America and Punisher. Like he he interacts with almost everybody, it feels like, in the MCU. So it yeah. feels like they could fit him in, you know, with a good comics tie wherever the hell they want to. He's been around, you know. Most people don't like him, but he's been around. <laughs> Well, that's like the the panel that's been going around. One of the few unaltered Moon Knight panels that makes the rounds a lot is him talking to Punisher. And Punisher is like, hi, Mark, still crazy? And and Mark says, a little, still murdery? <laughs> uh, and he goes, a little. How's your fake God? He goes, he's good. How's your dead family? Oh, my God. <laughs> Where's my money, you fucking nerd? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like that. It feels like that Moon Knight is like, oh, actually, in the comic. <laughs> you know? Well, and it it's almost incredible. I, I'm not gonna say memes are art, but it's almost incredible how art imitates life, and we sort of like get some of these things that are memes that then permeate the character. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no Way Home is a perfect example of the pointing meme becoming an entire movie. I'm mm-hmm. sorry if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched no way home, but if you are, what are you doing? Um, but it's incredible <laughs> that that sort of has come in. And I'm sure that has happened with moon Knight that we've seen some of these moon Knight memes. They're like, that's actually really funny. What if that was moon Knight? And it sort of permeated the character a little bit. I just really want Dracula now. Yeah. So badly. <laughs> I really, really, I remember before the show started and they cast Ethan Hawke, people are going, is he going to be Dracula? I was like, you know, Dracula is not even, a Moon Knight character. I mean, Dracula is a big part of the Marvel universe in the comics, uh, but he's not, I don't think, super closely associated with Moon Knight, but people associate him with Moon Knight because of the, the meme. So, <laughs> here's my money. After being jump scared by the figure, we again jump cut to Steven screaming himself awake on a bus, heading once again toward his job at the museum. Shaken, Stephen speeds into the museum and immediately recognizes a bus passenger inside. As he attempts to pursue the passenger, he's once again confronted by Arthur. Arthur reveals that the scarab he's after belongs to the Egyptian deity Amit. He explains that Amit, who would punish evildoers, was locked away, thus preventing her from passing judgment. Side note that, uh, that Avatar is now canon in the MCU. That's funny. That was a great gag. Blue people, I love that film. No, when I say Avatar, I mean, oh, the anime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to keep this in, but there is a, there is, there's something mentioned, and it, it, I think it, it bars mentioning now. So he mentions the, um, the Armenian genocide as one of his things, and there has been since a little bit of a review bombing of Moon Knight because of mention of the Armenian genocide. It seems that the Turkish people... 
uh, I think do do not recognize the Armenian genocide as having happened, and mm. um, so there are a lot of people that are upset that that was mentioned, but for all intents and like for everything that anyone knows, the Armenian genocide absolutely did happen, and so mm. it's interesting that we're we're getting a little bit of discourse from from a very quick line. In... I found people still mad about World War One. Yeah. Well, I found that interesting that he listed off all of those you know terrible people and events right after, and we didn't have an Eternals episode, so we've only really talked about this amongst our group chats and you know in person but the the like hiroshima thing from eternals was also that was not controversial it too. was not fully well received i mean i didn't receive it well right right for good reason that's <laughs> what i'm saying I, I watched that and i was like what the what in so the world I, is happening <laughs> yeah so it's kind of interesting that because i'm sure they have heard that feedback about it not being well received i've i've I think I've seen some stuff where they were trying to explain it away or maybe even apologize. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting that even after that, these these things were mentioned. I think the difference between this and the Eternal scene is, you know, the Eternal scene, first of all, showed the aftermath of the bombing yeah. of, of Hiroshima. And also the way it was presented, it could be interpreted in a lot of ways, some of which were like, wait, are we saying that this bombing happened because of the Eternals or whatever. Whereas this, it's a guy, a cult leader, listing historical atrocities and saying, wouldn't it have been great if this could have been prevented? Yeah, that's, so, that's fair. So yeah. yes, you're invoking some real world horrors, but I, for me, and I, I what I felt weird about the, the Hiroshima scene in Eternals, but I didn't think it didn't bother me as much as it bothered some other people. Because I saw what they were trying to say, and I was like, mm, "Yeah, kind of whiffed the, uh, the the pitch there a little bit." But I think for this, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, aside from the specifics of uh, of you know people reacting poorly to him mentioning the Armenian genocide, I think it's maybe a little bit better played just because he's mentioning things and saying this could have been stopped. And and that is me. Although whenever you mention Hitler, it's like oh, that's a that's a pretty big thing to mention there. It's uh, hard to take lightly when you when you bring Hitler. Into well, and yeah. it should be noted that the reason that people are upset or not, is not because it was mentioned. It's not because it's because they they don't. It's because they don't believe that it happened. They no, they, they, yeah. they don't believe in the event. So it's to them, like it is like mentioning the Holocaust and having a bunch of Holocaust deniers saying. Eh, I mean, it is yeah, very very okay. similar to that because yeah. it's a very. Yeah. It's, yeah. I would call that a pretty pretty close comparison. Yeah. Arthur corners Stephen and attempts to perform the judgment ritual, as he did in the earlier scene, and is taken aback by Stephen's inner chaos. Arthur tells his men not to pursue. Chris, this is a good time to talk a little bit about, uh, more about Egypt and the, the sort of the mythology surrounding uh, what's going on here in Moon Knight. Yeah, there's a couple things. I want, I want to mostly focus on, on the mythology. I want to give a little bit of the mythological background of what they're drawing from here. Uh, so to start with, they, uh, Stephen mentions at the beginning the Ennead. The Great Ennead uh, was a group of nine deities, but maybe one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes, sometimes ten, usually nine, but sometimes ten. Uh, the Great Ennead was 
uh, uh, Atom, I have terrible handwriting, who was a sun deity. Now, something to remember about Egypt was that they had multiple deities for the same thing sometimes. So you hear about Ra, and you think of Ra, the sun god. Ra was the sun god. Atom was also the sun god. It's like how Khonshu was the moon god, but also Thoth was the moon god. There, mm-hmm. there are multiple moon gods, multiple sun gods, multiple deities for these concepts. Uh, and it, you know, Egypt has a very vast history, so it changed the importance of the different deities actually changed depending on who was the pharaoh at the time and who they were trying to invoke, you know, in their power to justify their power. But the great Ennead is Atom, and then his children, Shu and Tefnut, and then their children, Geb and Nut, and then their children, and here's where you've probably heard of some of these, Osiris, Isis, Set, and Nephthys. And sometimes Osiris and Isis's child, Horus. Horus has the hawk head, I believe. Yeah, Horus has the hawk head uh, and wears, uh, you know, the the pharaoh crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I forget that actually has a name. And uh, an Ennead is any group of nine gods. And in other parts of Egypt, there were other groups of nine who were deified as, as the Ennead of, of their time or area. Uh, so... There's a little bit of flexibility with what the Ennead can be, uh, so I'm interested to see if they mix up any of these gods. I like. I wouldn't be surprised if Amut and Khonshu are supposed to be considered part of whatever Ennead they're looking at here. I did see, and I couldn't find this person's name, but there is an Egyptologist who was on staff um, as a consultant. Um, to- that is a cool that they brought that person on and be cool that Egyptologist is a profession. Yes. Right. Well, and you've got to figure Egyptian mythology is so much more difficult than other mythologies because there's no, there's not really written scripture about Egyptian mythology. If you're not counting hieroglyphics and the Mm -hmm. same, it's not, it's not written the same way. It is not, it is not like a collection of stories that you can pull from even still like Greek mythology is, we the way we view Greek mythology is probably heavily different from what they viewed Greek mythology, and it's the same thing for Egyptian mythology. Uh, so yeah. it's it's really interesting that that there is somebody who can kind of study that and see and figure out the nuances that they were at least attempting to to to, to discern from some of that information. Yeah, and I'm hopeful uh, that you know it's going to be nice to have a, a depiction of Egyptian mythology and pop culture that probably isn't. Guess what? It was secretly aliens, because <laughs> that is a trope that has been gone to again and again. And I won't get too much on my high horse here, but the ancient aliens theory is uh, pretty racist, first of all, uh, because it's usually hey, these uh, ancient cultures, uh, usually usually black or brown people, uh, like in Mesoamerica or Egypt. Um, and it's like, oh, they couldn't have built these pyramids. They're not smart like like the Europeans. Uh, so how could they? They must have had help from aliens. Ugh. You know, so. Cringe. Like, that's really what it boils down to in a lot of ways. You know, it can be fun to to have that portrayed in, in, in pop culture. Like, I don't know if anyone ever watched Stargate, but, you know, that was, you know, that was a fun way to do it. Where it's like, oh, these Egyptian aliens. Futurama, I think, did it best where it turns out the aliens are actually inspired by the Egyptians and not the other way around. <laughs> Um, um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, it looks, it sounds like they're not going to go to that well. It's just going to be, Hey, here, here are the Egyptian gods go, go nuts. Yeah. Um, uh, 
talking about some of the other uh, gods that we're going to be seeing about Khonshu, uh, we've already talked about uh, Khonshu, was, as, as Peaches said, the moon god and like a guide for travelers in the night, usually depicted with a hawk head in mythology, uh, and he would have a moon disc above his head. And the comics design that they transferred over here, he has a bit more of like a raven head instead of a hawk, probably just because it looks creepier. Yeah. And uh, I like that it looks, and they do this in the comics too. I like that it looks like the like medieval or not medieval, but the like the executioner, like, yeah, the, like doc, a plague, the plague doctor. doctor. Yeah. yeah, that's what I went. Plague yeah. doctor mask. Yeah. So it it really you know kind of touches like in a scary way for for us, I think. And, you know, having it be a skeletal head is also just scary. And side note, I love how in the credits, you know, his head is kind of hidden in the designs of, like, the mm-hmm. sand dunes and everything. I played bass for skeletal head. <laughs> uh, the other god or goddess, um, sometimes called a demon, actually, that is uh, going to be a big part of this is Amit. Now, Amit is, as they described, the devourer of the dead. Uh, has the head of a crocodile, the uh, front legs of a lion, and the hindquarters of a hippo, uh, which I believe were the three most dangerous animals that uh, Egyptians have, you know, regularly came into contact with. And what happened is, what happens in Egyptian mythology, their belief in the afterlife, of course, is very strong. We talk, everyone's, you know, a little bit familiar with the mummification process and, you know, how the the kings especially would be mummified and they'd be buried with all their stuff so they could take it to the afterlife with them. And the, in Egyptian mythology, the ka or soul of the dead would go to Duat, the underworld. They would travel, excuse me, they'd travel on, on, on boat there. And in the hall of two truths, Anubis, the jackal headed God, uh, would weigh the person's heart they put it on the scales of justice, like you saw on uh, Arthur Harrow's tattoo. And they'd weigh it against the feather of Ma'at, who was a goddess. And it was supposed to be, it was to measure how pure your heart was. How much have you sinned? Uh, this is just one small part of the Egyptian afterlife beliefs. There are a lot of other things that went into it, but this is, you know, the good stuff. If your heart weighed less than the feather, you could pass on. If your heart was weighed down by sin and weighed more than the feather, your heart was fed to Amit. Uh, and you would essentially die a second time, is what they would call it. And it was like uh, permadeath, I guess. <laughs> you know, uh, that, was, that was like the Egyptian version of, of eternal torment in hell, uh, is that Amit would devour your heart. So Amit going to be a big character in this, it sounds like. Uh, and if Khonshu is indeed real, then it stands to reason that Amit will indeed be real in this world as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, how that goes. Uh, for our local friends, I do want to throw out that Amit was part of a Halloween Horror Nights house a few years ago. What? Uh, yeah, they uh, uh, Tomb of the Ancients. It oh. ended with a big crocodile-headed puppet coming at you, and that was Amit. I had no idea. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah, so... Uh, the other thing to talk about with uh, Egypt here is there. There's a long history of what is called Orientalism in uh, in Western entertainment, where uh, there are, it takes a couple forms. Uh, it's 
also exoticism, you know, is closely tied in with it. It's where you bring in what are considered Eastern cultures. So you Middle East, you know, Egypt, all the way over, you know, through China and Japan, where either it's like, oh, this place is so different and unique. Uh, and, and sometimes it is done in a way where it is portrayed as a threat to Western civilization. And sometimes it's like deifying it to a point where it's like, this is better than Western civilization. And both are kind of harmful in their own ways. And, uh, the director of, of this, uh, is Egyptian. And we've already said that the, they have an Egyptologist on staff as well. Uh, and also I think very interesting. The composer is also Egyptian. Uh, so there is a lot of Egyptian talent behind the cameras uh, of this show, uh, behind the scenes. So and I saw an interview with the director where he's talking about how one of his goals through the, uh, with this show is not to exoticize the portrayal of Egypt because they will, uh, you know, eventually they're going to end up in Egypt. I think that's I, I don't think that's necessarily a spoiler. They've kind of talked about it a little bit. Egypt is obviously going to play a big part of it, and what they wanted they wanted to try to make as authentic a portrayal of it as possible, you know, without, you know, you know, falling victim to some of the same, you know, tropes that entertainment has for a long time. And uh, a bit from the interview that I thought was very interesting is they actually weren't able to film in, in Egypt because of scheduling conflicts. So I think he said that they ended up filming in Budapest and they recreated Cairo, you know, but with a lot of set dressing and everything you know, on a couple streets there. And they had a lot of Egyptian background talent there. And he said that people were coming up to him getting emotional because they hadn't been to Egypt in many, many years. And they said that they did such a, an authentic job of recreating it that they felt like they were at home, you know, even though they, they weren't. So, so I'm really excited and interested to see, you know, what, what we get of Egypt going forward. I think it's going to be really cool. And again, as I said, just bringing in the Egyptian mythology. Uh, well, Danny asked us this the other day. I think a lot of us had a mythology phase when we were younger. Uh, some of us, you know, yeah, when we were out younger. of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's fun, you know, to, to get some Egyptian mythology when we're so used to getting Greek, Roman, or even Norse mythology portrayed. Uh, you know, it kind of feels like Egyptian mythology gets a bit of the the short shrift. So it, it's cool to, that we're going to be seeing this going forward. And, and it's cool again, that, you know, there are, you know, Egyptian voices guiding it behind the scenes as well. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but I'm bringing it up anyway. I had made a, a comment in our group chat when Danny brought that up about how I'd read a Percy Jackson book and I've read the Percy Jackson books. So that author has another series called the Kane Chronicles. That's a similar type of, kid in a fantastical world that it revolves around mythology but it is about egyptian mythology and two kids from egypt and how they are you know wrapped up in uh, egyptian mythology and i would also say if you're interested in mythology he has a series that is about uh, bringing light and kind of showcasing lesser known mythologies and so he will bring in actor um, i'm sorry authors of other cultures and let them write one two novels about their mythology and kids in, oh, cool. in their mythological world. So if that's something that's that you're interested in, I would look up uh, Rick Riordan's uh, series and, and his books. And if you wanted a little bit more about uh, Egyptian mythology, I'm not saying it's going to be the most highbrow. I mean, we're talking about young adult novels, though. So, yeah, you yeah. Know, but 
we're also talking about comic books so who cares if you want to hear right. uh, if you want to read some some cool <laughs> stuff uh go go check that stuff out a good story is a good story it doesn't matter what reading level absolutely it is. i have one more thing on amit too yep. uh it's not to add to your description of amit because that's what i read too it's just that it is interesting that a they have identified the villain of the show right away and b that this villain uh is the avatar of amit when amit in the mythology is not a god she is like a demoness right so i think that goes with the villainy right he is worshiping this thing that he thinks is a god, mm-hmm. goddess, deity, whatever, but it's actually a demon, I, and and it's possible that they might, like you said, because the the Ennead or or it can compose of whatever they need at the time, and that's fine. But I think because he's a villain, it's going to be more along the lines of not actually a god, mm-hmm. devourer of of hearts, uh, tricking you into working for her, sort of thing. Well, I've seen I've seen Amit referred to as both a goddess and a demon. Oh, can you be so, both? Um, is there a Venn diagram? <laughs> well, that's the thing is that I think it depends on. I think it's one of those things that's maybe not one hundred percent agreed upon. Oh, sure. And I think demon is also sort of a catch-all of a lesser supernatural being. Okay. You know, sure. not, don't necessarily take it in the. Uh, I, I guess the Christian sense of the word, or or, or Jewish sense. I mean, I guess you know a lot of the. Uh, Abrahamic religions, you know, have an idea of what a demon is, and often those demons are based on gods from other mythologies and cultures. Gotcha. You know, I mean, if you look at the names of a lot of the demons, you know, that they talk about, you know, like if you, like in the Exorcist or whatever, a lot of those are gods from like Mesopotamian mythology, mm-hmm. and so it makes sense, like from an anthropological standpoint, why why that might be the case. Uh, so I don't necessarily know that demon always contains the negative connotation in Egyptian mythology. It might. I don't know. I, I did not gotcha. get deep enough into my research there. Listen, Storker's got a stork, all right? Uh, Thoth, by the way, Moon God has an ice an ibis head, which is very similar to a stork, so... Uh, oh, um, Thoth's got a Thoth. Yeah. <laughs> I hated that. Thank you. <laughs> Unbelievably, Stephen goes back to work his shift at the gift shop after this encounter. Uh, finished working and on his way out, he hears a dog whimpering and investigates the sound at a dark corner of the museum. Finding a monster in place of a dog, Stephen is chased through the building until finding himself trapped inside a bathroom. His reflection in the bathroom mirror, addressing him by name, claims that it can, quote, save us as long as Stephen doesn't put up a fight for control. Finally giving in to the reflection's plea, Stephen surrenders his consciousness to the mirror man and is slowly enveloped in white cloth. The monster breaks through the door just in time to receive a savage beat down by the titular Moon Knight, now donning his signature white suit, complete with cape, hood, and glowing eyes. I made him say titular. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) There is a fight style. Okay, so we only see a little bit of the fight here, but you paint him black, the suit black, and that's Batman's fighting style. It is, there is a sort of heft to when you see Batman fighting something on a screen. And that is, it is, I'm going to put it to you, Peaches, in terms, and Chris, you've played FromSoft now, so I'm going to put you in terms as well. It is the difference between being a sword and big, or shield and big sword 
fighting style and being a dexterity fighting style. A lot of what the MCU has done before is a little bit more dexterous. It's a little bit faster. Whereas Batman is a little bit more sword and board, sword and big sword and shield. He's going to take some hits and he's going to do some big slow hits that are going to be really impactful. He's like Margit with the big cane, like winding up in the air for half an yeah. hour before he slaps it down. He's gonna, and yet it's still always hitting. Yeah, he's yep. going to wind up just long enough for you to go, oh, uh, now is time to roll. And then he's going to wait a second longer and then hit you. Uh, I mean, it's smart. I mean, Good for them for tricking us so many there times. There is definitely a parody here between Moon Knight's fighting style and Batman's fighting style. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. What, immedi- yeah. what immediately drew me to is him hitting him on the ground reminded me of um, there was that scene with Batfleck when he is in the that warehouse scene that everybody talks about as being the the one good mm-hmm. Batman, you know, <laughs> scene where he's like hitting somebody on the ground repeatedly. Over- That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, that actually kind of reminded me of the new Batman yep. as well, uh, the Robert Pattinson, the whole I'm vengeance scene where he's like, yeah, Robert Pattinson, yeah, which which in itself felt very inspired by the Arkham games. Yep. I will also say there is one thing that I have not liked from the show, but I like everything else so much that it doesn't bother me that much, and that is that I don't think the CGI is that great. It's not. It is. I almost brought that up. It is not good CGI. I think they maybe spent a lot of their budget with some of the talent that they have brought in and some of the other things, and maybe the CGI budget wasn't as high as they could have been. I don't know. It's Disney. They have tons of money. I should. I should. Which surprised me. Uh, I can I can deal with Conchu looking a little weird, but I thought the the log truck looked. Oh, the log yeah, truck. Yeah, the log yeah, the logs when they hit those guys, they did not. It yeah. didn't look real. It at distracted all. me for a second, like, and it, it takes a lot for me to get distracted by like, quote unquote, bad CGI. But I was like, well, oh, okay, wow, part, really of kind of me, out. part of me feels like some of it might have been an intentional choice because we didn't know or don't really know. Still, I think we do, but just for hear me out here we don't know that that stuff wasn't a dream and in a i guess in a dream it might make sense that things don't look as real as they are Mm. but some of the other stuff like yeah i agree it's especially weird after we just had shows like wandavision and loki where the cgi was so breathtaking it was just so beautiful there was almost never a miss uh as far as that sort of editing goes to to come to this and go huh that's kind of interesting like the tattoo moving was the thing that unsettled me the most i didn't think that looked right at all i actually thought the most distracting was the moon knight suit itself i thought it was it was a little and i think part of that has to do with one it being all white that is very very hard to rep like to do well an all white figure also a lot of these scenes take place during the day i think conchu looked the best when um when it was in that dark hallway Yes, and yeah, when yes. it was like standing in like bright daylight, it looked a lot worse. And I think doing some of these CGI scenes in the day kind of takes a little bit away from the the CGI and kind of highlights it a little bit more than maybe they're intending. Did, did you guys watch Courage the Cowardly Dog? Because there mm-hmm. were like two moments where Kanchu reminded me of the Return the Slab guy. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like return coming for the, the return the scarab. Yeah. <laughs> the man is yours. The man is yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but 
having said all that, it doesn't actually bother me. Like I like this show enough to where, and I have watched shows with significantly worse CGI. I've watched the CW DC or DC superhero shows. I don't have any room to talk about shows with bad CGI. Uh, so, you know, you, it's still an enjoyable show. I don't think it like takes away anything from it. It just is definitely more noticeable than something than what the MCU and Disney Plus has been known for so far. Now, where do we think this is going? How does it affect the future of the MCU? Where do we think we are we are moving from here? For me, a uh, couple questions. First of all, where where did we go from uh, for the MCU? Do we know when this takes place yet? No. Has there been anything that has grounded it in a particular time? No. That's true. No, so I don't think so. There is a chance that this is pre-blip. Uh, just throwing that out there. Because that was not one of the atrocities that uh, that Harrow mentioned. And maybe that's because throwing in Thanos when mentioning real terrible things that have happened might be insensitive. I think that would have been, yeah. Yep. But I agree. It also feels like that would be a go-to thing that you might talk about. So there is a chance that this is all happening earlier in the MCU timeline than, than we might be expecting. Uh, so that is that is sort of my question about that. And we already talked earlier about how this is going to open up the supernatural side of the MCU. And it's going to be interesting to see how he ends up interacting with those people. As for you know what, what we want to see next couple things I, I think it's really interesting that you know we're subverting the whole mystery villain thing we have a mystery hero this time we don't you know moonlight moon moonlight moon knight uh has been around and is already established and active at this point we don't know how long moon knight has been doing his thing and certainly there have probably been many moon knights over the years uh many avatars of Kanshu, and our pov character is the hero that doesn't know that he's the hero uh, so I think that's a really cool way to bring this in and kind of, again, do an origin story, do an introduction story without doing an origin story, uh, which I think is something that Marvel has been trying to do a lot of lately because they, they get so many criticisms about, oh, every origin story is about exactly the same. Well, here we go. We're going to introduce a character, but it's not going to follow the same origin tropes. So, so I'm excited to see, you know, what happens next and... You know, is he going to get another goldfish? And all these other questions I have. Gus, we miss you, Gus. I don't think I have anything too deep to add here to how I think this affects the future. We talked about it a lot. I, I do like what you just said, how this was more of a, not even really an origin story. It was like the equivalent of learning to swim versus, by being trained from the beginning versus throwing you in the pool and hoping you just figure it out along the way. Like the latter is what is happening here. And I think it's effective because of this specific character and how he deals with what he's dealing with. You know, I think it works as a good uh, kind of brain teaser for the audience. Um, and will we get an episode that is more of the origin? Will we see him die in Egypt and then Khonshu resurrects him? I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe we won't. Maybe it'll just be mentioned briefly or or something like that i didn't have to save you but blah blah vengeance mm -hmm. you know who knows um i do hope the cgi is better now that <laughs> as you brought it up as they go forward maybe it'll get better yeah i like i said i really like 
La La Land. I mean Moonlight. I mean Moon Knight. Um, uh, I think it's going to be Yes, the most famous bad thing to ever happen at the Oscars. (laughs) Yeah, nothing could ever top that. (laughs) Um, I think it's... I think it's I think it's going to be a good show. Like I just I I don't know why I just have this feeling that I'm by the end of this I'm going to be like I really 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 enjoyed Moon Knight. Like I just I can feel it. I think it's going to be one of those shows that I'm I'm going to really latch on to. <laughs> I'm very excited. I have very high hopes Keep for the show. My deity's name <laughs> out your in mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh so what are we going to rate this? We'll start with you Chris. What are you going to rate episode 1 of Moon Knight? I gave it eight glass slippers out of ten. <laughs> how, how about you? Uh, I'm going to give it eight and a half. Oi, what's all this then? Out of ten. <laughs> Man, I'm the only one that didn't make a funny one now. Uh, I gave it eight ankle restraints out of yeah, ten. Yeah, you didn't do a funny one, but you did do a sexy one. I did. <laughs> that was much better than mine. I, don't know how I practiced my tongue rolling. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for uh, this week uh, uh, of Assembly Required and MCU Retrospective. Like I said, we're back. You'll be hearing us next week again. We're talking about episode two of Moon Knight. And you'll be hearing a few extra episodes here and there as we kind of catch up to some of the movies that we've missed. I didn't talk about it at the beginning of the show, but I'll talk about it now. If you want to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash assembly required. You can join our patron exclusive discord. Talk to us about the episodes as soon as they, as soon as you've watched them, we're, we're on there all the time. So you can chat with us whenever you'd like, uh, not whenever you'd like, but you know, within reason. Okay. Uh, huge office hours only <laughs> huge shout out to our Avengers level patrons, Brian, Adrian, and Michael. If you want to email the show, you can do so, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's going to be at assemblycast. You can follow all of us individually at D underscore peaches for peaches, GatorSax2010 for Chris, PhilKid3 for Robbie, and ABCD Eduardo1 for myself. It's going to do it for myself, for Chris, for Peaches, and for Robbie, if you could be here. We love you 3,000. Bye, everybody. Celsior. Hydra. Bubbly, bubbly. Light as gators. I can remember when we walked together Sharing a love I thought would last forever Then something changed her mind Her kisses told me I had no love in to hold me every day I wake up then I start to break up lonely is a man without love every day I start out then I cry my heart out lonely is a man without Claimed he was me father, he did. Bart, you're not helping. Poke the monster with a stick. Tuppence a jab. Come on, cue up, lads.